What can a person who has built a fantastic career around booking speakers teach you about creative interaction with everyone? Come find out. I'm your host, George Nagel, and today we get to speak with the queen of booking speakers herself. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. I'm ecstatic to be hosting my friend Maria Franzoni from the UK. She is a serial entrepreneur working in multiple industries across the globe, but more importantly, she is recognized as the leading authority in speakers. After more than two decades in booking speakers and working with people from Neil Armstrong to Sir Richard Branson to yours truly, she has led speaker bureaus, has set up international cooperations between bureaus to establish levels of excellence that the world has never seen before when it comes to speakers. She consults now with speakers to elevate their abilities, and she actually hosts her own podcast, which can be found at W. Or I'm sorry, just found at speakingbusiness.libsyn.com. That'll be included in descriptions later. And in addition to that, she is also a founder for Culture Change Consultancy with We Do Things Differently. Man, that is a lot, and I think it is self-evident why I asked her to join us today for this podcast on delivering creative innovation that brings productivity. Maria, thank you so much for your time today. Welcome. George, you made me sound so good. I hope I live up to the expectations you've now created. That's such an introduction. Thank you for that. Oh, it's it's more more than than due for everything that you do in the speaking world and in general for the people whose lives you touch. Um, anybody that goes to your LinkedIn, and we'll put that in the description as well, can absolutely see what a rock star you are just by some of the things that you not only post, but some of the references that you've, you've been given. Um, but let's talk about that a little bit. So Maria, can you tell everybody in our audience that's listening today the brief history of how you got into the world of speakers? And do you know what, George? It was completely and utterly by accident. I had no idea what I was getting into at all. So um, I had been in various uh, jobs and um, roles, had various careers, and the most recent being I'd been I was a general manager of an, an organization and and I had you know grown it and changed it. And I was looking for a new challenge. And this advert um, struck, got my attention. And it said, um, if you are able to negotiate at senior level. And I thought, well, in a previous career, I'd been a management consultant sitting opposite very senior people. So I thought, well, how hard can that be? And I was negotiating big deals, right? And of course, these senior level people that that this particular organization was talking about was talking about former presidents, uh, first man on the moon, uh, you know, really big, big names, international names, and the equivalent who would be booking them. And that got me really excited because I thought, what an amazing opportunity to be learning not only from the clients who are booking the speakers, but also from the speakers themselves, these experts themselves. So I was hooked. I was in there and I thought, this is what I want to do. And it's addictive. Once you're in, it's an amazing, amazing world. It's a fabulous world, as you know. You know, that's that's funny that you mentioned you did it for for the challenge, right? And and what comes from that? Because there's a quote, because I mentioned Richard Branson. Um, he has a quote of, you know, if it's a challenge and you haven't done it before, take on the challenge and learn as you go. 
um, because most people don't bother to take on the challenge and you're probably the right fit if you're willing to take the challenge, right? That's a, that's a fantastic insight into your creativity and your willingness to try new things. So that, that's awesome. That's, that's really cool. Um, so you talked about going in and at the executive level negotiating and negotiating and getting speakers, um, gigs or, or just convincing people, Hey, this is somebody you need to go into. So if I were looking to hire a speaker, right, what are three things that you would recommend that for me trying to hire a speaker, I should be looking for, or I should really be considering? Okay. Three things. Um, I think the first one, the most important one is to really be clear on what your objective is from having that speaker speak. What's the outcome you're looking for? Whether it's an opening keynote because you want to set the scene for the event or a closing speaker and you want to bring everybody together, or it's, you know, to, to create a feeling or have people thinking in a certain way. It really is important to know what that objective is because that will you know, shape who you're going to go for. And then I always say, to, I used to say to my clients, don't come with names because the problem when you do, when you come with names, you're limited to the people that you are aware of and that you know of, and they may not be in your budget, right? So it's always a good idea rather than saying, this is who I want. Think about, well, what's the actual profile? Who would have, what's the profile that would fit, that would deliver the content that I'm looking for or the outcome that I'm looking for, which allows you to think a bit more creatively and try to think outside of your industry and learn from other areas rather than stay within your industry. So I always said, think profile. What's the right profile for the person? What might they have done? Who might they be? What might they be doing? Um, and then ideally, and this is difficult, ideally see them speak in person. And we all know that's hard. So the next best thing is actually see them on video so that you know that once you have chosen that person, that profile, you've seen them and that they are a good fit for you, that they fit your culture, they fit your people, and that it's going to work for your audience. I like that. That's um, the the antithesis of you know creative innovation is don't have a, a cathedral of an idea, right? That's the name you know, bring some building blocks and your building blocks are around what are your objectives and actually do a little bit of research and figure out if they at least appear to be what you're you're looking for, or at least their style is congruent to what you want in your messaging. Um, and that messaging part's the communication part. And that's why you want a speaker to begin with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, some of these out of the box ideas, for example, if you're talking about risk rather than you might be a, a you know, risk specialist, how wonderful to have somebody who perhaps is a, a heart surgeon who would talk about risk, which would be completely different, totally out of the out of the realms of what you would normally have. Or somebody who's a, a pilot, a jet pilot and, and their risk or a bomb disposal expert. That's the kind of stuff I love where you really think outside of the box for the topic that you're looking for. Wow. That's, you know, that's fantastic. I, I, those are fantastic suggestions and what a perfect analogy, to be honest. Um, well, you know what, let's, let's take that. And what if we flip that and do a little breakthrough thinking of our own? So what are three things speakers should be doing or maybe looking for when they're deciding if they're going to take an engagement, um, especially if that speaker is really diligent and purposeful in wanting to deliver a lot of value for for any of their clients. 
Well, I think you've said it there, you know, deliver value for the clients. I think you need to be clear on what does success look like for that client and can you deliver on that? Can you make that happen? Because if you can't, don't do it. It doesn't do you any good and it doesn't do the client any good. And sometimes speakers are wanting to, you know, please the client. And, and you know, if they're known to the client, the client will say, please talk about this. I know it's not your topic. If it's not your topic and it's not your expertise, I'd say don't do it and maybe recommend somebody else. Because another area area that's really important for speakers is to be known for you know, one or two things, not for for being able to talk about everything, specialize. Um, and then I suppose the other thing that is really important, is it a good fit for you in terms of your strategy, which may be maybe to do, a, might be a financial strategy. You may be trying to get paid a certain level for your speaking because that's the value that you bring. So is does this fit? Does this work? Um, and if it doesn't, should you do it? Because you don't want to devalue your content by taking gigs that are much lower priced, unless it's part of your strategy to do a certain number for a charity or smaller organizations because you want to give back. Uh, did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. It's, you know, we need to be cognizant of our brand as a speaker and delivering the value that fits the purpose for our, our, our brand. And in addition to that, we need to make sure that we, hold our brand to the right value so it's not getting diluted aside, like you said, from some strategies. Like I do some things for for schools and things like that where I'm out there and I'm contributing my time to make sure that the younger generation is hearing something that is inspiring them to know that they can truly innovate and create and that everything and all the problems of the world have not by even a close margin been solved yet, right? So I... I think that was a fantastic answer, um, to be honest. You know, you, you've had a, a, a very good career. You've done a lot of different things, especially around speakers. What would you say some of the biggest changes or maybe even some of the biggest innovations that you've seen happen for keynote speakers um, maybe in the last decade? What would you think some of the biggest ones would be? The biggest one actually has been the most recent one, which of course is this world of virtual, uh, brought on and speeded up by, let's not mention the name, let's not say what it was and what it is, because I think we're all sick of hearing about it. But certainly virtual has opened up an entire new world. And it was, it's was it been there for a long time, but people didn't embrace it. And, and now they have, and they're continuing to embrace it because organizations have realized how cost-effective it is and also how quickly they can jump into a virtual meeting. So virtual has absolutely changed the game. And what's great um, since the thing that we're not going to mention happened is that virtual fees have come up to almost the same as in-person fees, and in some cases to match the in-person fees. So that's really great for speakers. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere because it is so cost effective and it's so timely. So that's one of the biggest changes. And related to that happening, uh, what has changed is uh, that lead times have got tighter. Because virtual is so quick and so easy to organise, there seems to be this expectation that that can also happen for in-person events. And people are shortening and tightening the lead times. Organisers are tightening the lead times and trying to make events happen faster. So everybody's having to react faster. So the world keeps getting faster and faster and faster. The world of events has got even faster. So that's a little bit stressful, right? Um, and, and what's been changing as well over the decade 
uh, that has gradually changed, and I think it's a very good thing, is that the need for information is no longer the driving factor for booking a speaker. It's more about how do you implement what that information is telling us. So it's about we want action now. So information, you can get information very easily, and that's not been just the last decade, but you know, more more so. But gradually we've seen it's not just about you coming and giving us information. We want to know how do we implement it? How does it affect us? What should we be doing? We need it tailored to our audience, our organization, so that we can now apply something. And if you, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Expert, can stay and help us, we're interested in hearing about it. That is a a message that I don't think people hear enough. You know, as much as I like to talk about creative innovation and and bringing everybody and getting their ideas out, a staple to that is if you can't execute on an idea, then it doesn't matter how good the idea is. And that's 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 fantastic that organizations are now seeking more than just the information that I think a lot of people deliver. So a way for speakers to innovate is to actually have a plan on if somebody did what I said, how are they going to execute? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that also then takes you into a longer relationship with the client. So, and not all speakers want to do that, but many do. Many want to help make a difference. And so, and you can, you can't do that much in a speech. You can certainly inspire and you can ignite and maybe get some actions from a speech, but actually often change is much longer. And speakers that are able to stay and help and implement are definitely uh, very much more valuable to organizations these days. Do you think if you if you were to look at um, audiences, right, in, say, North America and Europe, just as, as a comparative, um, do you think that the audiences are looking for, for different things? Or do you think that they all kind of universally are looking for that? Or do you see a change between the two? I think it's sort of case by case and audience by audience and organization by organization, because I think there's very different needs across different sectors and, and, you know, different cultures for a start. And I think it depends whether the audience is an international audience. So it's a, a mixed European audience or it's an individual country, because of course, again, each culture, each country will have different needs. So it's a, that's a difficult question to answer. But what I do see the big differences between uh, Europe and uh, North America are often the sizes of the events. And sometimes that's dictated by the fact that the, you ha- everything's bigger in North America, right? It's, I mean, we say it as a joke, but your venues are bigger. Your uh, They are genuinely bigger. There are fewer really, really large venues in Europe uh, compared to uh, the, probably if you put them all together, you probably have the same number in total, but you'll often find many more bigger events um, in the US. So many um, speakers, many speakers will have a smaller audience, which does require you to speak differently. um, And it's a more intimate environment. And many times I see audiences in Europe expecting a conversation from the stage rather than a an experience or a presentation from the stage where they are the viewer. So I see that as a slight difference. And sometimes that can be, you know, that can be a bit of a challenge if you're used to that big presentation, that big stage 
if you find yourself in a room with 100 people instead of the usual thousand that you might be used to? That would really be important to even understand walking into it. Um, but having having done the, the gamut, as it were, um, I can tell you, depending on the audience size, I do change the, the presentation. There, there's no doubt um, for me um, on that. That is interesting that you see the conversation side of it being a little bit more of a desired delivery style in Europe than, than in North America. I guess I hadn't considered it. Yeah. I think the other thing is that often uh, Europeans are reluctant to participate as, as much as perhaps the the Americans. The Americans seem to quite be very open to participation. And many of the American speakers that come across that you see will, you know, will get the audience right. And, the, and sort of the Brits will be sitting there with their arms folded and the Germans will be like, well, what's going on here, you know? Um, and the other thing you've got to remember, of course, when you come over, there are language barriers. Not everybody has a, a, such a good level of English. So UK audience is obviously no problem. Uh, if you go to Italy, you, you may often find yourself with a translator. Um, and same with Spain, France, some of the other audiences. So, And if it's a mixed audience, again, you might find yourself with a translator. So you have to then take that into account. And be careful of the examples that you use, that they work with the European audience as well, and vice versa, of course. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that Marketing 101 teaches you is don't use acronyms, right? Because they don't translate. Um, and I would think that that would be true even for, for speakers that like to use a lot of humor that may be a little bit more subtle. Um, the translation often doesn't, doesn't come off at least verbally, if it's drawn out, sometimes that does help. But that's, um, wow, those are some great insights um, to, to that. So, you know, given those insights, where would you think that there are opportunities for speakers to, to differentiate themselves or maybe even get really creative and innovative um, out in the speaker world in general? Gosh, that's a really tough question, that one, George. Um, I think, I think it's all about the. It is all about how you make that audience move from A to B, and how you do that could become an innovative. It could become innovative in itself, but it's it's about you know, bookers and clients are wanting their audience to be different, but after you've left, so. How can you do that? And it could be by using technology. It could be by using experience. It could be by using humor. I actually personally love humor. And as long as you're careful with it and, and understand the nuances, I think it can work really well. But it's, it's yeah, it's being incredibly memorable by, uh, you know, making people feel differently at the end of the session. Um, and I suppose the other area where you could innovate is really niching. And I know speakers are often really scared to niche uh, and they worry that they'll get less work, but there are so many speakers out there and then, and there are, there are holes. There are holes where actually this is a, a really, it's a narrow niche, but when you do niche, you can go really deep. And then when you go deep, you can be very creative, but also very specialist. And by being very specialist, you're now even more niche and um, and you, you've got no competition because nobody else has gone that route. It's hard to find those niches. But if you can find those content niches, those are really exciting places to be. 
I, I love it. I mean, you, you are hitting um, a lot of the things that I address right on the head. Um, um, so that makes me feel vindicated in that lessons from my business and my past businesses that I've been involved with are coming through in, a, in an area where maybe just for myself, I wouldn't think that they would necessarily apply, but they seem to just have this overall universal truth that everybody can use regardless of, of your expertise, right? And, and how you can bring out that movement of feeling. Because um, I think you talking about the opportunity being around A to B, right? How they felt when they walked in and how they felt when they walked out is spot on because we know that people don't make decisions or changes based on a thought. They do it based on a feeling. And uh, that really resonated in what you just said. And it's really powerful. And sometimes they have to change their thought in order to feel differently, of course. Um, but you're, they won't, you're right. They won't change their behavior until they do feel differently. Yeah, that's, wow, that's just, that's really powerful. Um, and a message I think everybody needs to hear. Um, so I have, I have a harder question for you. I know you thought that last one was hard. This one might be even harder. But for you, um, this might actually be quite simple. So out of all of the people you see and, and you help coach, what is maybe the one most common area that speakers need to be coached on? This is definitely much easier than the last question. That last question was a, I don't know if this is going to translate into American, but it was a humdinger. That was difficult. Um, so this one's much easier. So this one might surprise you, actually. And I was surprised. Um, what I didn't realize is it doesn't matter where you are in your speaker journey, whether you're starting out or you're really experienced and got years and years of experience. This is the area where speakers need coaching. And it's actually understanding the paid speaking market, if that's the market you want to be in, of course, because you might not necessarily want to speak to be paid, but this is what we're talking about, the, the market I know. It's a really fragmented and complex market, and it's got lots of moving parts because anybody who has money can book a speaker for anything. So how do you understand what's going on? Where are the bookers? Who are they? What are their job titles? What are they looking for? How do I get to them? How do I communicate with them? How does the whole system work? How does the industry work? What are the norms? So I think that actually is probably the most important area. And it's the foundation. You build everything once you understand the market and where you fit in it. So that would be my answer. It's a great answer. Um, and, and like everything else, right? Simplicity um, is is always seems to be the the uh, the best answer to any of those things. Um, Maria, wow, what a what a fantastic! I mean, all of our conversations. I, you know, I was a little worried because you and I tend to have some conversations and we get a little bit silly, uh, but it's always a fun time. I can tell you that. Uh, but what an informative uh, discussion! Um, I can't I can't thank you enough to be honest. I do have one parting question. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? I think LinkedIn is the best way, actually, because I'm I'm really getting into LinkedIn. I really rather enjoy it. Um, so LinkedIn is good. And if you are a speaker looking to get booked, LinkedIn is the place to be because there's a lot of bookers on there. 
And yes, we did resist being silly. I was on best behavior today, George. <laughs> it's it's all good. Maria, give us your website um, if somebody just wanted to reach out through your website. Yeah, it's mariafranzoni.me. Dot me. Excellent. Maria, again, thank you so much for your time today and for a fantastic conversation. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for being kind. Apart from that second to last question, which was a bit rough, I shall have words with you off camera and off podcast. <laughs> it's all good. Thank you so much.